Good morning. We, uh, I'm sure you're figuring this out. This, we're, we'll celebrate Vacation Bible School with all the children in a uh, later service, but our middle school students are heading off on a mission trip, so they are here with us, and they will be commissioned right at the end uh, of, this, of, this, of, of the service today. And um, I just want to tell you what we did in, in Vacation Bible School, and then we'll get into Hebrews. Uh, the first day we talked, the whole theme was not just thriving, but, or not just surviving, but thriving in the kingdom of God. So Jesus gives us the ability through what he's done for us to, to, to survive, to, to pass judgment. That doesn't mean, I'm, it sounded like I'm saying to pass judgment on others, but we can get through judgment. But the whole idea of the kingdom of God is not just that we survive, but that we thrive in it. Not just when we die and go to heaven, but now. So we talked about the resurrection and then we talked about Mary Magdalene, an, an unexpected person to be entrusted with seeing Jesus, one of the first people to see him after he was resurrected. And then we talked about Saul's conversion to Paul and um, how he, was, he had done a lot of very difficult and terrible things to the church and that the people early on didn't really understand who Paul was and that he had been converted. And then, and then once they, the Christians accepted him, even the even the Jews that he used to work alongside, then they didn't, they, they tried to get rid of him. And then the last day was Peter escaping prison, how, how, how God will, if he has something for you to do, he will intervene and make things be the way he wants them to be, not just the way we want them to be. There's much more to it. Each grade level, there were different, uh, a different focus, but um, it was a it was a really, really good and fun week. I know you see the fun and you only get pictures of the Bible teaching, but um, I can tell you, we have some, Jeff and I can attest, we have some really, really smart children going into fourth and fifth grades, um, or going into sixth and fifth, and fifth grade. Just brilliant kids, um, very insightful questions and and asking children to pray. One time Lynn said, who wants to pray? And a bunch of kids put their hands up in the air. And so she just had every one of them come up. Just, we'll all pray. And one by one, each, each child had something different to say that was insightful, that was glorifying to God. So the, the children's ministry, what they're doing here, and it kind of culminates in VBS. We get to see what this, these kids know and what they're learning. And just phenomenal. So I'm going to offer prayer. I'll give you a little background on this week and the next two weeks um, of Hebrews, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll hear what God has to say. Let's pray together. Lord, as was just stated, we ask that you, you speak to us today. So tell us only what you want us to hear. Show us only what you want us to see, and give us only what you want us to have. Do not want this message to be my message for them, but your message for us. So, Lord, help us see and hear and receive what you want us to see, hear, and receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the next, this week and the next two, this week's not that difficult, but it, it, it's introduced, it introduces probably one of the most confusing and difficult, at least for me, confusing and difficult persons in all of the Bible. Um, and that's this person named Melchizedek. So we will talk about that in two weeks in uh, 
uh, in Hebrews chapter 7. Um, I'm about three hours into studying, hearing, and reading on it, and I'm still confused. So um, I will do my best for you in a couple of weeks uh, to explain why Melchizedek is significant and how that, uh, how that relates to G the person of Jesus being both priest and king. But today, um, this is when the author of Hebrews introduces that Jesus, the Son of God, who's also the Son of Man, is greater than or better than the priesthood. He's, he's more than. He's, he, it, the, the priesthood that we know comes from Aaron and Levi and, and their descendants, but they were, they were flawed. Each individual, like all of your pastors, are flawed. Um, but there was a, there's a different kind of priesthood that preceded the Levitical priesthood and continues forever. He, the author introduces this. Now, last week, Pastor Doug mentioned that um, you, he, you can't really read chapter 4 without going back into chapter 3. And the same thing is true for chapter 5. You have to go back in to, uh, to 4 a little bit. Now, before we go into the reading, I just want to communicate one more thing. Next, the next chapter, so we're talking about this priesthood, and then we're talking about the priesthood. But in the middle, Hebrews 6, there's some tough verses in there. And he begins to set it up right at the end of five. That whoever divided up the chapters and verses, I would have made different decisions, but they're much wiser than me. So you'll hear a tone shift at the end of this chapter, chapter five, where he starts basically saying, you're a bunch of babies. Not to you, but to the Hebrew people that he's writing to. And, and then it just stops. So next week, we'll have to dip into five to talk about six. Okay, here we go. This is, uh, we're beginning in chapter 4, verse 14, and we will concentrate primarily on 14, 15, and 16, but I want to read the whole thing. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest, now this is talking about the Levitical priesthood, every high priest is selected from among men and appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant, meaning those who do not know uh, and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take, this, take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, Today I have become your father. Now this gets a little, this gets a little wonky when we're talking about the Trinity. Uh, begotten, not made. That the, the son is preexistent for all eternity, but this is talking about the incarnate son. So Jesus, when, when, when God speaks to him at his baptism and at the transfiguration, he's communicating to us that this man, who's also divine, but this man is the son of God. So today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard 
because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, I'll get back to that in a minute, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Now again, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks, that part. And then here's the change in tone. (laughs) I'm not going to read it with the voice I think the author was writing it, but we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching, with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Completely different kind of tone. But by the way, in that, if you're reading, if you're reading ahead, just want me to tell you what to look for in chapter six. You're all a bunch of children. You don't understand anything. And then he says, and if you grabbed it and you let go, you're doomed. And then he says, but I have confidence in you. Go for it. Just a little, little, it's kind of like a a, a dad um, saying to a child how disappointed he is and then giving him that that, that pep talk, like, get back out there, you got this. So, a couple of things in chapter, in chapter 5 here that, that can get a little wonky if it is reformed Christians. Um, although he was a son, he learned obedience. Now, he never disobeyed, but as a human being, in a different way, I'm not saying in a harder way, but in a different way, he had to, he had to, he had to walk through life the way we walk through life, except better. And so, did Jesus, or did the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, understand what it means to be in perpetual submission to the Father and the Spirit, as the Father and the Spirit are in perpetual submission to the Son? Of course, that's the relationship between God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But as a a man, as a human man, in order for him to walk a life so that he could redeem Everything that we've done, every part of humanity, he has to experience every part of humanity. So in the desert, when we think about him being tempted by, by the devil, we're like, oh yeah, well he just quoted some scripture and he was all good. 40 days no food, and then he was tempted by the devil himself. He had to learn what, what the cost of obedience is. He, it, it, it cost him 40 days with food, without food. It cost him interacting with his everlasting enemy. It cost him the glorification that he deserved when he was walking around with humanity. Instead of being served, he had to serve. Instead of being received, he had to be rejected. And instead of being raised up as king on high, which is who he is, he was torn down and beaten, murdered, and then had to descend to Hades. So he did have to learn obedience, not in his divinity, but in his humanity. And then it says this, he learned obedience from what he suffered and, and once made perfect, he became a source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I thought Jesus was perfect. How was he made perfect? Well, it is his suffering 
that God received, God the Father received, as a sacrifice for us. If he did not walk through that suffering, that sacrifice, there is none, and therefore we're doomed. So the author of Hebrews is teaching theology. He's using terms that the Hebrew people really understand. But what he is saying is that, look, the old system was incomplete. And we'll get to that more in chapter 7. But the old system was incomplete. There was a priest who was a king that Abraham paid tithes to. But if you remember your history, Abraham is before the law. And so there's a priesthood in, in, in the person of Melchizedek that is better than the incomplete one that came through Aaron and the Levites. And so in this chapter, this, this, this pastor is saying to his people, folks, all the things that you see, and if you look back at Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and then Hebrews 5 and 7, you'll see the case that Scripture makes for Jesus being greater, greater than the priesthood. Now, what is a priest? A priest, as it says right here, intercedes on behalf of the people. He stands before God pleading on behalf of the people. And he stands before the people speaking on behalf of God. That's who Jesus is. So that priesthood, that, that ongoing sacrificial system, once Jesus was resurrected and ascended to the Father, that priesthood is no longer. And you know what? After 70 AD, it is no longer. It does not exist any longer. Now, some would argue that David was a priestly king. Fair. When he brought the, the, the ark into, the, into Jerusalem, um, he put on priestly garb and dedicated that city, not the temple yet, but that city to God. And so he had priestly ways about him, but he was not a priest anointed by, chosen by, and called by God, and appointed by God. He was a king. Jesus is both priest and king, but not just a priest, the priest. And it tells us in chapter 4 right here, and then we'll, we'll, I'm going to concentrate on this right now uh, from this point forward. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. I don't think we have any real understanding. That's not fair. I don't have any real understanding of this. I mean, I know what it says, but I don't think on a daily basis I think of Jesus as the great high priest. I, okay, yes, he came from heaven to earth. Awesome. And he did the things that we couldn't do for ourselves. Awesome. And he saved us from our sins. Awesome. And then he resurrected and ascended to the Father. Awesome. And then he sent the Holy Spirit so that we're never alone. Great. But do you know that according to these Five, or these three chapters in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is always interceding for us. He's always standing. His, 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 what he, his, his completed work on earth continues. He's always standing before the Father on your behalf, and he's always standing on behalf of God speaking to us. He is always he, he's perpetually, he's not being sacrificed again, but because of his sacrifice, it was done once for all. It doesn't need to be done every sin. It doesn't, because it's, it, it's all inclusive. It is, it, is, it is happening. It is in the present and ongoing state of having been sacrificed. 
You, right now, are forgiven because Jesus is the great high priest. And when you mess up again, if you get frustrated in the van and you bump into someone or you, or, or you don't put on your deodorant, put on your deodorant. Sorry, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years. And no Axe body spray. When you, when you mess up again, you're being forgiven. Now, are we supposed to approach our high priest, our Savior, our Lord, the, the Son of God, the Son of Man? Absolutely, we are supposed to approach. We're supposed to confess. We're supposed to tell him what we've done. And that's not for his benefit because confession is telling God what he already knows. You don't have to go to him pleading, wondering, hoping that this time he'll forgive you. He's always forgiving you. He's always interceding for you. He is, it is a perpetual sacrifice. One time for all past, present, and future. So, according to the author of Hebrews, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach God with confidence, not the kind of confidence a spoiled kid has. We're not supposed to be irreverent. In fact, it tells us here that, his, that, that when he cried out to God in loud cries and tears, it was heard because of his reverent submission. Can we be reverently submissive and confidently bold to go to our God? Or do we come like a, like a, like a whipped dog with his tail between his legs? Or you've seen, I'm sure you've seen videos when, when someone comes home and every cushion, cushion on their couch has been torn apart and there's the stuffing everywhere and they go, who did this? And the dog's like, that, that's shame. And yes, healthy shame is good. But folks, if we think that we have to earn something, if we think for one moment that we we have to do something so that God will receive us, so that we will, quote unquote, pass on the day of judgment. We're very, very wrong. You remember that the people that the author of Hebrews is writing to were Hebrew people who became Christian and are now kind of trying to go back because they lost a sense of it is finished. So they felt like they needed to sacrifice some more. They needed to go through these, these, these great celebrations. Now, some of that is social. They lost some friends. They lost family connections and all that kind of stuff because they chose to leave who they had been to become who God wants them to be. But they were going back to legalism, to the sacrificial system, to trusting the, the corrupt priesthood over the great high priest who will remain high priest forever. So I'm asking you, to just search through your life and ask God to do the same? Are there places where you still have to communicate to God that you're worth loving? Because I'm gonna tell you this, that might not be sinful, but it's a lie. You do not have to convince God that you're worth loving that you're worth saving. He should have convinced you that that's not true. He came 
that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. And the one who wants to convince you otherwise is the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10, just in reverse order. Boldly, reverently submissive, approach the throne of grace. And you'll, you'll see there that the author says, so that you will find mercy and grace in your time of need. I've told you these things before, but I do believe that teachers are right, that you have to say things over and over and over again for them to stick. So I'm going to quote the great theologian Sparky Anderson. He was asked one time, and I don't know what the context was, what's the difference between grace and mercy? And he says that mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you don't deserve. You see? The author of Hebrews is telling us that we can approach with confidence, reverent submission, but confidence, to not get what we deserve and to get what we do not deserve. He's telling that it's finished. It's done. It's always happening. You don't have to clean yourself up before you take a bath. The song we just read uh, was saying that the nothing but the blood, it is enough. And in our, in our world, enough is like, yeah, it just makes the mark. No, it is sufficient. It is above and beyond anything we could think of and anything we could ever need. When, when we hear in the scriptures, um, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, you know that, you remember that? In, that uperi periso uperpanta, it, 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 it's infinitely more abundantly above all we could ask or even dream up. Paul invented words to communicate that, and we go immeasurably more. You can't quite measure it. And when, when, when Paul is asked, or when Paul asked God three times, take this thorn from my flesh, what does God say to him? My grace is sufficient. And we're like, sufficient? That's kind of like competent. It's just enough. No. It is, it is more than we could ever dream of. It is more than we could ever need. It is, it is beyond our ability to comprehend, conceive, and ex- explain. It, the grace of God is will be and continually more than anything you will ever need. And he's always giving you mercy. He is always giving you that which you do not deserve. He is always giving you that which, I said that one wrong. He's always not giving you what you deserve, and he's always giving you what you do not deserve, and that is salvation, that is the Holy Spirit of God, that is the kingdom of God, that is everlasting life, that is sonship or daughtership in the kingdom. You have been adopted as one who is loved. Now, I'm not, I'm not getting soft on sin here by talking about how much you loved and that God is always loving you and he's always showing mercy and he's always showing grace. It is the fact that we don't have to do it on our own that should motivate us to be reverently obedient. If you read this passage again or if you pick up the, uh, the English Standard Version, and you, it, it is salva- he offers salvation to all those who obey. And in the next chapter, we, there's some scary stuff about those who chose and believed and received and then dumped it. What happens to them? Let us not be one of them. I'll leave you with this, with the verse that, the passage that uh, led my wife to Christ. The parable of the 10, it was either the one that led you to Christ or right before that, but she remembers this. The, the parable of the 10 lepers 
And Jesus sends them off. One came back to thank him for the healing. One came back to thank him for restoring their lives and them, themselves to their community. One came back. One. Not, not nine. One. So nine got what they wanted from God and went on their way. One got what he wanted from God and came back to thank Jesus. He is always interceding for you. He is always offering you mercy. He is always giving you grace. That should spark us to much. First, a life of gratitude. Second, I know, George, I'm almost done. Second, a life of obedience. And I would say third, confidence. Confidence, security in whose I am, whose you are, so that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be concerned anymore about whether you're going to make it in. And if that worry is taken away, that's the whole idea behind Calvin's theology, is that people were so afraid they were going to mess up that they were, that they were um, handcuffed. They kind of imprisoned themselves. I'm so afraid that I'm going to lose my salvation. That I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm just not going to do anything. And he's like, you get, your salvation's good. You're good. So do not be afraid. Get out there. Do it. Live it. Speak it. Own it. So folks... Boldly approach the throne of grace and live it, own it, speak it, rejoice in it because you have a great high priest, the high priest that will always be interceding on your behalf. And I really hope you guys have a great trip. I'm not going to be in here for your commissioning, but I really hope everything goes well. And I personally, because I've been on enough of those trips where things flip over or there's accidents or things, I'll be praying that all the tires on the van stay on the road, that all the people in driving other vehicles will stay away from you and that everything goes as it should. And it probably will because I won't be with you. <laughs> all right, let's pray together. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are, our great high priest, one who intercedes for us always that your work is finished. It's not incomplete, it's complete. That when you, when, you, when you said it is finished, you weren't kidding. So Lord, give us hearts of gratitude, contrite and obedient spirits, and joy in life so that others can see they need not be afraid because we have a high priest that gets it that gets us, that suffered, that was tempted, but was made perfect as a human. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.